suburban eastern Australia, an environment that has, over time, evolved some extraordinarily unique groups of Homo sapiens. But today, we observe a small tribe akin to a group of meerkats that gather together atop a small mound to watch, question, and discuss the current events of their city, their country, and their world at large. Let's listen keenly and observe this group fondly known as the Iron Fist and the Velvet Glove. Yes, dear listener, episode 220, your regular group of meerkats have gathered together. (laughs) We're standing on a small hill in the western suburbs of Brisbane. We're looking out and we see a shitload of problems out there. (laughs) Run, hide. There's all sorts of things going on. It's not. It's not good. It's not pretty. Yeah. Have you ever seen a depressed meerkat? Well, you're looking at one now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I'm, let's I'm let's f- see if we can cheer, cheer him up me tonight. Up. So. Yeah. I am depressed. So, this is the Iron Fist Velvet Glove podcast. This is an Australian podcast, weekly, award-winning, no less. We won the Brisbane Podcasters Award, and we look at news and politics, sex and religion. Not too much sex on this episode. I don't Do you think. think we should we have more sex. I've got one penis item to talk about. Oh, good. But yeah. Uh, language warning is always in place. We have a little explicit warning on the podcast. Occasionally we drop the F word and tonight we definitely will when Ooh. I talk about fucking Scott Morrison. Oh. And uh, so if you've got kids around, discretion is advised. Mm. Uh, with me as always, Scott, well, not as always, uh, recovering from his <laughs> migraines, Scott the Velvet Glove. G'day, Trevor. G'day, Paul. G'day, listeners. How are we all? Well, we're good. You're obviously fully recovered. I'm fully recovered, yes. Very yeah. good. Good to have you back. We missed you. you. We missed you. Yeah. You missed my beer, I think. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> oh, <just> getting my <laughs> own stash. There is that. But. <laughs> and Paul, the 12th man. G'day, everyone. How are you? Mm. Welcome back, Scott. Mm. Thank you, Paul. Cheer up, Trevor. <laughs> it could be worse, Trevor. We could have Donald Trump down under. You know, I was thinking about it just before you arrived and I thought, who would annoy me more, Donald Trump or Scott Morrison? And I think Scott Morrison annoys me more. Really? Yeah. So, uh, yes, there are aspects of Donald Trump that would be more appealing than God. Scott Morrison. <laughs> Bloody oh, hell. The wow. smirking of Scott Morrison just got to me. Because in preparation for this podcast, I had to listen and watch him on some mm. stuff. And the, what the, you put yourself the, through, the, exactly. For the, the smirking of Scott Morrison in the past week has really just poisoned the system. So <laughs> let's let's do a podcast and try and get it out of my system. You might need a spiritual enema or something like that. <laughs> <you know? laughs> Maybe. Well, let's. You know, I think a podcast. I think episode two hundred twenty is going to do the trick. So, so uh, it's not on my list. But you guys mentioned that during the week since we last met, you went to a talk by. Jacinta Nappy Jimper Price. We did indeed. We did. And yeah. it was very good value in my opinion. Mm. It was really good actually. She's um, quite a good speaker, isn't she? She's a very good speaker. In fact, uh, I, w- I was impressed because I've, I'd seen her previously briefly on things like Q&A and, and you know, she was, she was quite not reserved, but, you know, she didn't sort of... Um, go out of a way to sort of break out and, you know, let everybody know what she was thinking. She was quite uh, measured. Mm. But on stage, her just her and a mic, no interview or anything like that, she was full of it. I mean, full of beans, full of verve for, you know, her message, what she wanted to share with people. And she was quite 
personable and entertaining, and I, I, I found her very... So just her alone on a stage, on a stage. For, for an hour or so. Yeah, it was more than an hour. An hour and a half. Although we had an bits. interruption. Yeah, there was an interruption. There was an Aboriginal bloke up in the top And area. a woman, I think. There was and at a least woman, a couple yeah. of them. And he was screaming at her because uh, what she says, she said she's not going to do the welcome to country mm. because she's not sure if she could get it right in Brisbane. Okay. So she was actually saying that, you know, you're supposed to do it properly for the various tribes mm. in the area. Yeah, right. And she didn't know who the actual tribes were in the area, so she didn't want to offend or anything like that. So, And this guy went burke, didn't he? He went totally bananas, yes. Yeah, right. He was yelling, he was thumping his fist on the banister of the – it was in the, uh, what do you call it, the dress circle area mm. of this old theatre that, that where it took place. And he was banging his hand on the banister of, of the railing and, and uh, yelling at her and – he was becoming very abusive and the, you could hear this woman up behind him screaming her head off. The security people went up and they were, they were very uh, cautious about physically touching this guy, uh -huh. I suppose for obvious reasons. And they were trying to talk him into leaving and he wasn't, he wasn't leaving and finally they called the police and uh, she went off stage. Uh, okay. Jacinda so went, went off stage right. to, to try and, I suppose, help them calmed down the situation and uh, finally the police came and, and they were, they were let okay, away. Okay, so without the interruption, maybe an hour 15 if she just was uninterrupted. I think it was more than that. I think okay. it was at least an hour and a half. Notes? Was she working off notes? No. Just appear to be. Just... That's pretty impressive. Yeah. To hold a crowd captivated oh, yeah. for over an hour without notes, just talking. Yeah. That, that. That's impressive. She's she was alone. very she mm. was really quite impressive. I mean, like she like she and I take your point, Trevor, where you said that she's a Tory and that sort of stuff. She is. Mm. I don't think there's any doubt about that. She is mm. a conservative. Mm. However, some of the conservative message, it's probably high time it came out. Right. You know that sort of help yourself pull yourself up by no, your bootstraps not, not message. Really, or, not really that. It yeah. was um she was, you know, throw rocks at me for saying it, but she was being quite critical of her own Indigenous brethren, yep. wasn't she? Some of them, she, for Some sure. of them, yeah. yeah. She was quite critical of them and she said, you know, this victim mentality, mm. we've got to deal with it, we've yeah. got to move on from it. And, you know, she also doesn't want to see the, cha the date changed for Australia Day. I happen to disagree with her on that. I think, you know, mm. if you, get, you should change it just to try and give them something, you know, just to try and put them all to Basically, basically she's against anything that divides the country. She, right. she mm. several times mm. made a point of saying, look, we're all Australians. We're Absolutely, all in this together. Yes. Yeah. And she's tired of people being singled out as Indigenous or non-Indigenous. She said, look, we're all Aussies. And she feels like she has a foot in both camps, obviously, because... Her husband's white. Not only that, her mm. father... Right. Her father is a, you know, European-Australian. Mm. Right. Her mother's an Indigenous Australian. Mm. And she said she grew up and she had a few photos of her in her childhood. And clearly she, she you know, her social circles were a very mixed, ethnically mixed group. Mm. So she grew up surrounded by people of different backgrounds, different skin tones, if you want to put it like that. Mm. And she just felt that, I, I, I think, you know, people are people. Regardless of what 
colour their skin is, you know, so, what yeah. their, where their parents come from. People are people. She said, we're all Aussies. We're all in this together. And she was sick of this, uh, you know, trying to, trying to divide people into camps and, uh, you know, playing okay. the victim all the time. Mm. Yep. Yep. That's and, good. And her message was very positive, I thought. Yes. Did she talk much about economics? Or, or no, not no? really. Okay, she it was did, more it, social it, issues. It was more on social yeah, okay. issues. Okay, I think yeah. I would have agreed with her 100% I think on all those things. you probably would have. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 But she did stay away from the economics, hmm. which is yeah, probably a good thing for her because economics. Yeah, the economics and that sort of stuff, she hmm. would have lost us there. Because well, it's interesting that she could can hold an audience for an hour and a half yeah. talking about the social Very effectively, issues. Very and in fact, she got a standing hmm. ovation wow. at the end. Wow. How many people do you reckon? 400? Thereabouts, something yeah. like that. Yeah, wow. three or four hundred. Yeah. I thought. And uh, she she was very very warmly um, received. Right. And a couple of them were indigenous who were downstairs that were watching. Yeah, her. there were a few faces in the crowd that looked indigenous. Yeah. Mm. Mm. And you know, it's just um, all right. I well, was really quite impressed with her anyway. And you know, they they said that the, what was it? The guy said he says, "Oh, you know, you know, will you be the second female prime minister in the country?" And she laughed that off and all that sort of thing. But mm. I could see her, I could see her doing something like that. You know, I'm not saying that she's, she's going to the, do it, but she's mm, she's, she's got, got the got intellectual the capacity. Yeah. She's oh. got the gift of the gab. Mm. Um, I, I think I, I wouldn't mind seeing her as a government minister of some sort. I have yeah. to say, oh. I think she'd be quite good value. Mm. What's her current role? She's still she's a councillor or something. Alice Springs Mayor. Yeah. 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 Okay. Yeah. All right. Well, enough on uh, Jacinta. So anyone... But well done, Jacinta, if yes, you're listening. good on you. And in the other states, maybe people can still see her if she's on mm, some speaking tour around yeah. Australia. I would encourage people to go and see her if they get the chance. Mm. Right. During this past week, uh, Gladys Liu is the Chinese-born? Is she Chinese-born? Chinese-born um, um, member, member for Chisholm. Chisholm. Mm. Yeah. In a district that's got lots of... Chinese people. Yes. Chinese expats is she or whatever. Chinese or Hong Kong born? I think she's Hong Kong born. Yeah, I think but, so. You know, they don't Which is technically Chinese. part of China, but yes. when she was born, mm. it wasn't. Yes. Mm. So um, she's been in the news because there's talk about what links she has to different Chinese organisations that may be closely linked with the Chinese government and whether she should have declared them and she was on an Andrew Bolt um, interview and she was saying she couldn't remember and he was pushing the point and then she was saying, no, I wasn't. And then later on she came out and said, well, yes, I was, but I resigned. And what she was and when and when she resigned and what she revealed, you know, it's hard to keep track of it all. But the point is it's an organisation that has got very, well, close ties to the Chinese, Chinese Communist, Communist Party, Party, if not, very close if not is actually part of the Chinese Communist Party. Indeed. And... Um, and that's all well and good. Like, people need to declare potential conflicts of interest and Absolutely. I've been saying that people need to declare their religion because if they're making laws about religion, they need to declare whether they've got one, like you would have thought, but it didn't seem to gain much traction. But mm. So, but to me, um, the important thing about it is is the reactions, the post sort of reaction to it where... Uh, Scott Morrison basically played the race card. And I've got a clip here. So I'll play a little bit of Morrison and what he had to say because Labor Party and others were criticising her and 
it was for what she had done. It was not anything to do with the fact that she was Chinese. It was her associations and her activities. So Obviously. Anyway, this is what Morrison had to say. I'll play some of this. This has a very grubby undertone in terms of the smear that is being placed on Gladys Liu. And I think people should reflect very carefully in the way they've sought to attack Gladys over this matter and the broader, the broader smear that I think that is implied in that over more than a million other Australians. Are you saying this is racist? Well, I'll let others draw their conclusions. But what I do know, Gladys is a Chinese-born Australian. Does that make her um, in cahoots with the Chinese government? Of course not. It's a ridiculous suggestion, and I think it's an insult to every single Chinese Australian in this country. And, you know, it wouldn't be the first time, wouldn't be the first time the Labor Party has made comments like this in my home state of New South Wales. We always all remember the last New South Wales state election. What oh, I can't listen to any more of him. Uh. <laughs> you know... Yeah, don't bri- bring up your dinner. Bri- briefly, I'll just play a little bit more. Penny Wong came out in Parliament, spoke very well to say the only, body, the only person being racist here is you, Scott Morrison, in raising this race card. Look, Scott Morrison even said himself in that, in that clip, he said uh, the fact that she was, um, what do you say, the fact that she was born in China, does that make, you know, every, every Chinese... The 1.2 million Auss- yeah. Aussie Does Chinese. Does that implicate every Chinese? Yeah. No, of course not. No, of course not. I mean, he contradicted himself in a sense, didn't you think? Well, he's just trying to say that that's what the others are implicating, those 1.2 million. It was just... And nobody else has said it. He was yeah. the only thing that... The only person that has made even the merest suggestion. Yeah. So Penny Wong came out in Parliament. She bagged him appropriately. And then some reporters talked to him uh, a bit later on about it as well, and I'll play this little clip as well, and then we'll discuss. Prime Minister, why was it um, racist to question Gladys Liu's connections to China, but it wasn't racist to call uh, Sam Dastyari Shanghai Sam? I didn't use either of those phrases. The only <laughs> problem, Belinda, is, well, it's simply not true. I mean, Shanghai Sam, we all know. Shanghai Sam, it's about Shanghai Sam, and he's got to go. As Treasurer Scott Morrison repeats, Repeatedly use that phrase, Shanghai Sam. Yeah. Okay, you can make a mistake. <laughs> You've used it 16 times. And he came out afterwards and he said, oh, I didn't hear the reporter correctly. I, didn't, I just thought she talked about racism. But the whole premise of the question was he, he wouldn't have understood the question. He would have had to say, what do you mean, if he didn't hear the Shanghai Sam reference? Yep. The question made no uh, sense if yeah. you didn't hear that. So when he said, oh, I misunderstood the question, I thought she just said, you know, racism, and I, I didn't say racism. And the thing that gets me is there's so much just BS in this whole thing, and he smirks away, and he knows he's just going to get away with it. Like, he can say whatever shit he likes, and nobody's going to pay attention except for political junkies doing a podcast or political junkies listening and watching a podcast. (laughs) But, you know, for the 95% of Australians, they're not paying any attention to this and they won't for another two years and nine months when they front up on a Saturday morning and go, oh, who am I going to vote for again? None of this will be relevant. Mm. It'll just be, oh, the daggy dad thing, are they going to fall for it or not? And it's just the way that he can, you can have, you know, national security is so important 
But then, oh, it's one of mine. Oh, forget that. You know, how dare you allege national security as, as an issue here? Like, well, she's been cleared. It's all good. Nothing to see here. It's such a double standard. It's such bullshit. I hate having people he's a think hypocrite. they can get one Isn't over it? on me. And but he's a complete hypocrite. Yes. You know, I mean, he's the one that's been leading this, you know, move in the Pacific to to make sure the, you know, small South Pacific nations are on our side because yeah. everybody knows China is doing their best to expand their, you know, sphere of influence mm. into our uh, geopolitical region. And ha- now he's saying, you know, she couldn't possibly be a spy for the Chinese. Yes. She couldn't possibly be. Yes. Because she's in our party. Indeed. The interesting thing is that uh, in the... Um on the voting day, the signage uh, in the electorate in Chinese mm. um, indicated it was official sort of um, mm. stuff from the electoral office that indicated the correct way to vote yep. was for the, to vote for the Liberal Party. Mm-hmm. And so that's headed to the High Court later this week mm. uh, to determine whether there should be another election. Indeed. <laughs> that she violated <laughs> electoral guidelines? Indeed. And, you know... High chance of a, a by-election. by-election. And what was the margin in her seat, Scott? It was pretty slim. I think it was only 1% or something like a that. 1,000 votes. Mm. And there was another woman of Chinese uh, ancestry running for the Labor Party. Correct. There was, yes. yes. Yeah. So, um, so that will be interesting to see. You know, yeah. nobody cares, but maybe in that electorate mm. you could find 500 who might switch mm. and we could have a hung parliament. <laughs> Because they've got a, what, a two-seat majority. They've got and a two-seat and majority. It, it and swung the other way, you'd be a... Well, be, they've got a two-seat majority. Mm. They've taken their one down for a speaker. That leaves them with one-seat majority on the floor. Mm. If uh, Gladys Liu does lose the seat and ends up back over in the Labor column, then that then ends up that you end up with a technically not a hung parliament, but you'll end up with an effective hung parliament mm. because the... Uh, Voters don't uh, see what's going on there. Well, mm. because the uh, s- speaker wouldn't ha- would only have to vote if the, if it was set up yeah, with yeah. a mm. with a hung parliament. So that would just scare the bejesus yeah. out and of Scott Morrison. It if would, that's yes. possible. And, and let's hope it does because you've also got. Sorry to keep getting no. on about this. Is you've also got um, Josh Frydenberg. Mm. Now he's got Section Forty Four clouds over his head <laughs> over his. Um, Citizenship, which he inherited from his parents. Yes. Dear listener, look at a previous episode where we had his Hung- the Hungarian yeah. sort of notation of citizenship on his parents' papers that arrived yeah. in Australia. Mm. And look, none of us really know whether Gladys Liu really should be suspect, but the possibility is there. And, well, and think about it. If she were a, 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 a sleeper agent, you know, of mm. some description... Mm. She's perfect, isn't she? I mean, she comes across as this sort of, you know, honest, you know, quite sort of, you know, um, almost vulnerable woman, you know, that gets our sympathy when she cries in Parliament. Yes. She could be the perfect sleeper agent (laughs) if she were one. And I'm not saying she is. Yeah. Look, I think she should have just declared, I am a member of this group. And people could say, well, that's a communist Front, like that's part of the Communist Party, and she could is. legitimately say, "Well, look, I uh, I'm wanting contacts with the Chinese community, mm-hmm. 
You could say that about any Chinese group, that it has got contacts with the Communist Party. Like, it's hard mm. to be part of a substantial group that, that does stuff in the Chinese community mm. that isn't part of the Communist Party. Mm. Therefore, it's just an, uh, you know, it's an, an evil that can't be avoided. Or, you know, she wouldn't need to use those words, but she could basically say, hey, uh, they might be, they may not, or yes, they are. But in any case, I'm developing ties with the mm. Chinese community, mm. and that's just the way it is. So... Suck it up, buttercup. And, there was the and, and you couldn't really complain about it. You'd have to say, well, okay, and yeah. declare it, and she would have been fine. Mm. So as with a lot of these things, it's the cover-ups that, are, that cause the, Absolutely. the issue. Absolutely. Yeah. It's the dishonesty yeah. that we, we don't like. And as soon as somebody, a politician, starts saying, oh, well, I don't recall that, mm. immediately my antennae go up and I'm like, <laughs> yeah. really? Yeah. You know? In the, in the chat room, Rex says, uh, this is a case of a Manchurian candidate, perhaps. <laughs> <laughs> Could be. Hello, Rex. Yes, and hello, Roman and Daniel. Yes. That's good. Manchurian candidate. The, the, what's that southern province? Uh, Guangdong? The Guangdong <laughs> candidate. <laughs> yeah. So, um, She's the Hong Kong candidate, isn't she? Yeah. But the whole thing about it in that nobody cares, it's just... I don't think people... Do you think people care? Do you think the average Joe, if you walk down the street and said, Gladys Lou, does that issue matter to you? No, how many people, I, I, I if you interviewed 100 get... people on Queen Street Mall, how many could say... One, perhaps two, would actually say, well, she's got something to yeah. answer. Yeah, you're right, Trevor. Yeah. yeah. It's only the political junkies like us that are really interested. Yeah. And, you know, this is the thing about, you know, if this was a Labor person then the Murdoch press would be going would to be town. town. They'd be going to town. On Channel 9 would be, be strung up. Yeah. Sky News would be livid. and um, They spent quite a lot of time on this issue on Insiders on Sunday. Do you right. watch Insiders? No. Oh, you don't? No. Oh, you should. Right. I, I rely on you, Paul, oh, thanks. For, to do the ABC <laughs> Do you watch it, stuff Scott? I watch the Insiders, yeah. 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 It's it's often good value, I think. It is, yeah. Yeah. So. It's a lack of engagement on something that just paints Scott Morrison as a complete asshole. and yet friends of mine I know in two years, nine months' time are going to go, oh, Scott Morrison, he's okay, he's a yeah. nice guy, he's a good guy, mm. dag your dad, you know, yeah. he's all right. And it's just like, no, these are the things that show what a bastard he is. So um, that's what, what a that's two-faced what hypocrite he is. Mm. Yeah, and it's the smirking. So I saw him on the 7.30 report a week or so ago and you see him in these interviews and he's confident. Very confident. Because, Why wouldn't he be? Because he knows he can throw shit mm. and none of it will stick on him mm. because he's got the media on his side and the media that's not on his side is too timid to do anything about it and he can just smirk mm. his way through. Yeah, and even for those if, of us on this podcast. Well, yeah. we, we saw what happened after he deposed a prime minister and then less than 12 months later, he won an election yes. virtually single-handed. Yes. So why wouldn't he be confident? Extremely confident. So, um, and with good reason. Like, it, it's just, that's what's depressing me. So, so you think he's got um, 99% of Australians pegged as mugs? Yes. You know, he's previously had jobs where he's always had a boss, as we all do mm. in some, you know, unless, unless you're self-employed, I guess, but... <laughs> You know, and he's got into trouble in the tourism job he had. And oh, he in, lost in, that in, one, didn't he? Yeah, in very mm. murky circumstances. Now he's top dog and, he, like, there's nobody telling him anything. He can, and he, he's, he's a man who's just realised, 
Holy shit, yeah. I can get away with whatever I like here. And yeah. he is cocky and smirky yeah. to go with it. And he's going to ride that's, the wave as far as it takes him. That's what gets me. And he'll do things now like, oh, national security, we need these tyrannical laws. Um, oh, but it's one of my members, nothing to see here. Yeah. Uh, welfare, you know, sinners, we need to, you know, Impose a bit of prosperity gospel thinking here. Clearly, these people yeah. need some moral adjusting here. Uh, let's let's and indeed, work on and that. on that topic, I saw mm. him in the last couple of days almost shedding a tear because he was empathising with people who'd lost their homes in bushfires yes. and things like that. But does he shed a tear for the people just trying to survive mm. on Newstart? No, not one. No. Nothing. Not even a moist eye for them. No. So um, they're out of He's favor. very selective with his uh, yeah, it's sympathy, is prosperity he? gospel yeah. stuff. If, if you're one of his, yeah. then sympathy. You deserve it. Mm. You deserve sympathy. So we're just, you know, we're just going to face three years of this smarmy, mm. well, no, this, this smug BS from this guy, oh. and he's going to um, he's going to bring out the worst in us. Mm. Like, he's going to... Encourage short-term, shallow, selfish materialism with a, a dose of prosperity gospel moralising throwing. Like he's mm. going to bring out the worst in in our community. I think mm. um, he's going to teach us to love billionaires and despise welfare recipients. And he's going to talk about he'll talk about supporting the community and hardworking Australians. Yeah. But when it comes to community, the only ones he's really going to support are religious communities. He's going to strip. Yeah. All the funding away from any other community, mm-hmm. and hardworking Australians, he's going to con them into accepting neoliberal trickle down bullshit, because and they're going to swallow it. That's what is depressing me. Oh. Yeah, so work you on me here. Paint a very depressing picture. Yeah, but it's also quite an accurate forecast of where we are headed. Mm. You know, mm. it's. Um, it's a hell of a concern yeah. because this guy is out of control and there's got no one that's going to put the brakes on him. Yep, he's got free reign. Well, you know, mm. I mean, we were just talking about it before. Mm. Um, he's appointed Kevin Andrews, Kevin Andrews to, to, to do oversees a review, the review of um, family, family law. law courts, which makes no sense whatsoever. Mm. Not uh, to us anyway. It makes anyway. sense to ScoMo apparently. Yeah. Speaking of... Uh, Looking to the future, mm. uh, Christian Porter yeah. is, is sort of uh, held out as as a future leader. Mm. Is, if ScoMo meets, well, he has the right name for it. Yeah, Christian. <laughs> yes. Um, and I didn't think he was all that religious, though. Is he? I don't think he's, he is. No, he's not. No. He's religious. He believes in God, but not very much. Mm. It seems. But he's prepared to write laws for those who do. That's the. And he also played the race card when he was in Parliament. So. He played the same card about this whole thing that uh, Morrison did. Mm. About Gladys Lewis? Yes. Mm. Yeah. So not to be trusted. Uh, some people really like him, but there was an article from Crikey which uh, was talking about um, Christian Porter and saying, why are all these people so enamoured with Christian Porter? Because when he was in the Western Australian State Parliament, mm. he wasn't very good. Have you heard this? Mm-mm. No, I haven't heard no, this. I didn't know he was so, in Western So this Australia. is uh, Joe Boswell writing in Crikey saying that um, uh, 
you know, these glowing reports have omitted a few details. Uh, readers in Western Australia in particular will recall Porter's stint as the state treasurer in his 2011-12 budget speech. He made a wild assumption that the GST formula would be revised imminently in Western Australia's favour. His budget bravely anticipated GST windfalls of several billion dollars for the state in the coming years, when the wholly predictable reality was Western Australia's share would keep falling very fast. Consequently, he wrecked the state's finances, trashed the Liberal government's reputation and arguably did more than anyone to put Labor back in power. So that's interesting. Hadn't heard that before. Hadn't heard that one either. Yeah. So... What year was that, roughly? uh, 2011, 2012, Mm -hmm. that budget. Yeah. Right. That's enough of the depressing stuff there. Um, Well, that in itself would probably write him off as ever being a leader. No, that's, well, no. Scott Morrison was sacked for incompetence yeah, in the tourism thing, and but Scott so, Morrison wasn't on the public record though, whereas Christian Porter was. Now, history doesn't Howard? seem to affect these guys. John Howard had a bit of an up and yeah. down career. See, yeah, I know that. They seem yeah. to get away with these things. Yeah. Yeah. Hey, um, here's an interesting one for you, dear listener. We have in Brisbane an annual River Fire Festival. Yeah. I'm not sure how I feel about this. Mm. I'm not sure either. I enjoy watching the jets fly over on yeah. Saturday on their practice uh, runs. So at this time of year uh, on the Brisbane River at various points there are fireworks and it's, you know, it's, it's a fun event to go to and be on the riverbank and watch the fireworks mm. and with friends or whatever and it's an annual thing that happens as part of the festival this time of year. Mm. And there was an article in the paper um, saying that River Fire Fireworks Spectacular is under threat, um, with the social media campaign calling for it to be cancelled and funding diverted to fire victims and farmers. So we've obviously had uh, bad bushfires in yeah. Queensland, yeah. Uh, southeast Queensland, and farmers are suffering a drought. So uh, the River Fire Facebook page is the target of a major backlash from keyboard warriors and a petition's been set up to axe the show. And the petition creator said, this is Lauren Darwin said, with the kick Mother Nature has dished out to regional and rural Queensland since the beginning of the year, I believe there is a greater need in the state than a night of extravagant fireworks. It really served no purpose apart from entertaining city dwellers, given the very real struggles communities are having, such as floods earlier this year in the north, Clifton with no fuel in town, Stanthorpe and Warwick without water and a horrific bushfire season, there are more worthy causes than an evening of fireworks. Gentlemen, what do you think? Should Mm. fireworks be cancelled? Well, I can sort of understand where they're coming from because, you know, it is a fireworks thing that is designed to entertain us city dwellers. Now, people out in the regions don't ever get anything like this. You know, they probably wouldn't want it. It'd start a bushfire. Exactly. <laughs> um, but having said that, though, I mean, you're always going to have problems. You know, you, you're never going to have enough rain in the driest continent on Earth. So we're always going to have drought conditions for much of the state. Mm. So I'm not convinced that um, us going without fireworks and putting the money into the farmers' pockets is going to make much difference. 
How much money, roughly, do you think it'd be? It's a couple of million. A couple of million, yeah. yeah. It, it would be, assuming you can actually cancel that now and not face no, a breach of no, contract, they damages contract clause. For sure. But, you know, assume, leave that to the side yeah, for the moment. But assuming but, you could, yes. how much, what would it buy? It might buy, you know, a few hundred water trucks, trucking water up to uh, Warwick and Stanthorpe. Mm. We are trucking water. We are so, doing it. So and we're, we're paying, paying for, for it, it out of general revenue. So the money we would save would go into general revenue. Yeah. And yep. And think about all those poor so, children who were looking forward to the fireworks. So, so do you think it should be cancelled or not? <laughs> I really don't have a strong view on this one. But I have a better idea. Let's cancel Christmas. <laughs> I mean, people spend a lot more money on Christmas. <laughs> no, wouldn't, no, seriously. Okay, and let's face change it. Change your name here to the Grinch. Yes. And, yeah. It's, I mean, Christmas is a, a, it's a phony celebration anyway. Jesus was not born on December 25th, if, if ever at all. Mm. Think of all the billions people spend on Christmas. I mean, how far would that go to help the struggling yeah, we, farmers? We obviously don't have a retail shop. Me? Yeah. No, obviously I'm not in retail, so I don't stand to what lose. About, you know, because, you know, the you struggling know, farmers... 50% of my, the, my, my year's revenue probably comes around Christmas, well, well, right? The struggling farmers need rain yeah. and the struggling retailers need, need Christmas. Yeah, they need Christmas. It's, it's the same thing. So, uh, so my good wife was talking to me about this five weeks one and she said she initially thought it was a good idea to cancel it. And I said, are you insane? <laughs> <laughs> Incidentally, Mrs. Fist, she's yeah. catching up on, you know, I said she was falling behind with the yeah. podcast. As we're driving back from the Gold Coast, uh, she was putting on a podcast from the Conversation Hour or something like that, and uh, it was on fast speed that she, when she put it on, and, um, and she confessed that in order to catch up on our podcast, she's been playing them at one and a half speed. <laughs> really? That might and then be she more re- entertaining. Though. And then she really insulted us by saying it actually still made complete sense <laughs> and she could follow it fine. Anyway. Uh, yeah. Mrs. Fist. Yeah, Mrs. Fist. So, okay, back to the uh, fireworks. Um, incidentally, dear listener, from other areas outside of southeast Queensland, uh, River Fire fireworks used to be unbelievably good when we had the F-111 jets yeah, who would put their afterburners on and fire shoots. up into the sky mm. because the Amberley, Amberley Air Force Base was not far and they used to come in, put their afterburners on and go and it was just mm. the highlight of the year. It was so worthwhile going mm. just to see so that So you don't aircraft. think the F-18s cut it? They can't put on the same afterburners. They, don't have they that, can't, so. but they're still yeah, but it's, interesting to watch. You could see them from all over Brisbane. You could see the F-111s mm, with the afterburners. Yeah. So anyway, back to this uh, thing. So I, when I was talking to my wife, I said, well, I was thinking about it afterwards, and this is where loyally think, lawyers' sort of thinking comes to, into play. You haven't been able to break that No, I habit. haven't. And it's obviously clear when we talk about this stuff that I'm thinking like a lawyer does quite often. And yeah. what you do when faced with these sorts of things, I reckon, when you've studied enough law, is you, is you think, well, what's the general rule that I would come up with, uh, the general principle that I would be applying here? How could I construct a general rule that would deal with this situation? Mm. And then are there any exceptions? Like, so when you're framing a sort of a, a principle, uh, you would have a series of elements that make up things and then you have a series of exemptions. So you would say, if A, B and C exist, then this rule applies. So maybe you're guilty of an offence or you must pay this tax or you need this licence. Unless exemptions D, E or F exist, for example, 
self-defence, so you're not guilty, or you're under 18, so you don't have to pay this tax, or you're Indigenous, so you don't need this fishing licence like everybody else. Yep. So you normally have sort of elements and then exemptions and you create a general rule to try and spell out the thought. And then can you come up with a rule that makes sense and doesn't have crazy exemptions and, and then you know you've got a reasonable theory. So, um, so looking at this sort of fireworks thing, are you, is the rule that you're trying to create something like uh, in times of natural disasters it is inappropriate to hold festivals. Mm. To be happy. Is that the general rule that we're applying here? Can it be narrowed down or defined any further? But that seems to be the, the thought process is if there is a natural disaster somewhere, it's then inappropriate to hold festivals anywhere, mm. nearby-ish. So... That seems to be the general rule. Yeah. I disagree with that, but anyway. Yeah. yeah, and then you start to see the problems and you go, well, as you mentioned, there's nearly always a drought somewhere in Australia. Mm. Like, is there a time when there's not a drought in Australia somewhere? No. Probably not. So then did you say, oh, well, you know, are we just talking about Queensland then? Do we have to restrict it to that? So we say, oh, if there's not a natural disaster in Queensland, mm. then... Well, if there is a natural disaster in Queensland, we can't hold a festival in Queensland. But that's very parochial, isn't it? It is. But, you know, if there's just I mean, if there was a a big drought in New South Wales, would we care? Seemingly not, then. (laughs) So, you know, where does it lie? So you start to see uh, where problems arise if you can't make a general rule that makes sense and if you have to start introducing exemptions Mm. that suddenly don't make sense as well. Like in... um, Summer, cyclone season. You could never schedule a festival in, in, in summer because of a potential cyclone in North Queensland. Mm. It could mean that there's, you know, tough times. Yeah. So um, I would argue that um, because there are tough times, that's exactly when you do need festivals. Like that's when people actually need something to uplift them and keep the spirits up. Like is when is that why the Romans had the Colosseum? No to, doubt. To entertain the, you know, the yeah. poor masses. Yeah. Like it's well, when bread and circuses. Yeah. Mm. So it's when there are tough times that a festival's a good idea, I think, to lift spirits. And, you know, are we just going to say it's just the city folk who can't have festivals when times are tough in the country? Can we switch that around and say, does it apply that people in the country can't have festivals when times are tough in the city. Mm. So like Chinchilla, three hours west, has a melon festival. But, you know, if Brisbane's in flood, do they stop having their melon festival? No, they're heartless out there. (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. And, you know, why limit it to natural disasters? If people are suffering from something, then why do we withhold our festival because it's a a physical suffering from a natural disaster? Mm. You know, what if the stock market plunged 20% or housing prices did and people were like out of work or whatever? And stockbrokers were jumping out of uh, skyscraper windows. Would we cancel our own happiness and donate to stockbrokers' families? Indeed. And the other point I was making to you was there are retail businesses in Brisbane who are doing it tough, like Indeed. really tough. You would not be – like owning a retail shop in, at the it's moment is as tough as owning a farm. Mm. You know, no apologies. Like it, it's tough out there. They're really working hard, can't, you know, can't make money. Yeah. So they're relying on fireworks nights 
to to pro- generate a bit of um, income. Exactly, mm. casual workers who are um, working in the restaurants yeah. and bars yeah. around yeah. the city. Like they need they're those relying shifts. exactly. Yeah. So, um, so you're actually causing them a disadvantage mm. by not having a festival. So. So it's actually, rather than a waste of money, it's an investment in the local economy. So there's a whole bunch of reasons. It'd be very hard to frame a principle that would, uh, that would not soon become nonsensical mm. and require strange exemptions that clearly wouldn't apply. So mm. I think it's pretty obvious. It's a stupid idea to cancel mm. uh, the festival. Obviously, if there's a danger of things catching fire in Brisbane, you don't hold a fireworks festival. Yeah. But mm. assuming that's not the case then go ahead and have it. And when uh, is it? It's in a couple of weeks, yeah, it's isn't in it? a week or two times. 28th, like of dis- 28th of September. Oh, okay. So yeah. two weeks. Yeah. It's week not me and the better half are going out to see uh, Muriel's Wedding, the musical. Okay. Mm. So you're not going to take in the fireworks? No. Okay. Mm. <laughs> Rex in the chat room says, is it paid predominantly by the Brisbane City Council and ratepayers? If so, then they can decide to do what they want with their rates. Well, that's... It's paid for by the state government. Is it? River fire. Mm-hmm. There we go. Okay. Okay. Yeah. That's one of the things that gives the irrits to a lot of people who don't live in Brisbane. Yes, I imagine it would. Yeah. And uh, there had not only the drought, but there was those big floods in North Queensland, which affected a lot of people. Yeah. And the state government provides money for festivals and things in other regional areas. I dare say they At the do. same time, yeah. yeah. There we go. I thought that was just uh, an insight fact, into isn't my. Is the state government thinking. going to partly fund a new stadium in Townsville, new yeah, football stadium yes. or something? Partly yeah. or fully, yeah, exactly. There you go. So, yeah, maybe they're getting their share. Yeah, I just think you're really mean spirited if you if you go, you people over there can't have fun because those other people are there yeah. are not having fun. Yeah. yeah. So, okay, um, Catholic Church. Uh, in Tasmania, there are now new laws requiring priests to break the seal of the confession and yeah. to report suspicion About of child sex abuse. Too. So the law has been passed and the Tasmanian Catholic priests have said that they will not be complying with that law. Round them up. Yeah. Over Jesus' dead body, <laughs> that they'll break the confession, right? Yeah. So they've just said we're not going to comply. Yeah. I mean, these are just... They're just renegade criminal enterprises, the Catholics, and we are going to give them a whole bunch of extra privileges in this religious discrimination bill, despite this sort of stuff. They, yeah. they act as if they're a law unto themselves, and they probably think they are, you know, the canon law. To mm. any submarine Catholics out there, I just want you to understand something, that a very small portion of whatever money you throw in that plate goes towards the maintenance and upkeep of an international child rape cabal. Mm. Who refuse to comply with Australian law. Mm. Exactly. I think they're, they're above it, yeah. Um, right. Well, while we're on the topic of religion, are you guys ready for a Bible quiz? Oh, are we ever? Yep. Okay. We love Bible quizzes, don't yeah. we, Scott? <laughs> <laughs> so uh, I've mentioned before Cam Riley is doing his uh, – he's doing a movie on – is he? The early days of Christianity. Oh. And it'll be out soon. Mm-hmm. We'll probably have a screening here or something like that. Oh, so um, he was just trying to get some information about how much people know about the Bible as part mm. of his sort of marketing and information gathering for, for that. So mm. 
So I've got up on the screen here his little quiz and uh, I thought we could do it together and, and and between the three of us, maybe I'll get a really good score. So so we're allowed to combine our Yeah, I think so. We won't tell Cam. So he doesn't listen, I don't think so. <laughs> right. Play along. Uh, maybe I should put this on the screen, actually, for those who are uh, in the chat room. Let me do that. So, oh, it's not going to do that part. Sorry, guys. Um, oh, that was, uh, I can't do Get it. Get a piece of paper and a pen. Yep. Take notes. Yep. yep. Sorry, I, I thought I might be able to do that, but I'm not going to be able to. Okay. Who was the first? Yes, be a police guy. Who was the first person to mention Jesus in writing? Peter, James, Paul, Matthew, Mark, Luke, or John? Who was the first person to mention Jesus in writing? John. Okay, John. Why are you saying that? I'm guessing. Okay. <laughs> John. Tick. Which was he right? I don't know. I'm going to put oh, it through and okay. uh, uh, see. Um, which New Testament writers were eyewitnesses of Jesus? Peter, James, Paul, Luke, Mark, Matthew, John, all of the above, none of the above. Um, did you mention Paul? Peter, James, Paul, right. Luke, Mark, Matthew, John. Okay, not Paul. James was supposed to be Jesus' brother, wasn't he? Is that the same James? don't know. It's a pretty common name these days. I don't know how common it was in, uh, <coughs> you know, 2,000 years which, ago. Which New Testament writers were eyewitnesses of Jesus? Okay, Peter, not Paul. Peter, James, Paul, Luke, Mark, Matthew, John, all of the above, none of the above. So No, Paul wasn't a... Paul wasn't a witness of Jesus because he came. He but, was but, a Jew that was out there trying to persecute the original Christians. And, and, and the New Testament writers were actually writing thirty years, or whatever, after right. the absolutely, death. absolutely, yeah. So, and even the the so called gospels, yeah. So I'm nobody put, really knows who wrote them. Yeah. So I'm going to put none of the above because the actual writers were not eyewitnesses. No. Uh, Paul wasn't. He never met him. Mm. Are you okay with none of the above? I'm okay with that. All right. Yeah, that's fine. Okay. Um, which gospel was written first? Matthew, Mark, Luke or John? I think it was Matthew. Well, that's the order it appears in the Bible, isn't mm. it? Matthew, Mark, Luke and John? But they also borrowed from each other, didn't they? I know that, yeah. They're, yeah. they're no. not... Yeah. Totally and, sort of separate. Yeah, and I think when they stories. were talking about the borrowings, in my mind it went Matthew, Mark, John and Luke is, I mean, is how I think it went. So I'm going to go Matthew. It's not something I've ever obsessed over. When did Paul expect the end of the world would happen? Year 1000, year 2000, when the Antichrist appeared, never. In his lifetime, he didn't know. In his lifetime. In his lifetime. Yeah, well, I agree with that. Which of the following people were Jews? Paul, Peter, James, Jesus, Herod, Mary, Joseph, all of the above, none of the above. All of all the, the above. above. Oh, Herod wasn't, was he? Yes, he was. He, he was. was. He was a king of the Jewish king. Okay. Oh, was he? Mm. he well, I he believe was, so. He was appointed by Rome, though, was he? I think so, but right. I think he was Jewish. Mm -hmm. I could be wrong, but I think he was. Um, when did, let me just uh, see if I can just, sorry, let me just. Um, that what about that penis that Mary was holding? Was that Jewish as well? <laughs> <laughs> that ginormous one. Uh, 
bear with me a sec. When did Paul believe Jesus became special to God? At his baptism, at his birth, he always was. At his crucifixion, at his resurrection. Say that again. When did Paul believe Jesus became special to God? At his baptism, at his birth, he always was. At his crucifixion, at his resurrection. This is Paul. Yeah, when did Paul think Jesus became special? Um... At his crucifixion. Don't know? No idea. Okay. At his crucifixion. Uh, Who did most Jews think the Messiah would be? A miracle worker, a warrior king, a high priest, a wandering preacher. Warrior king? Mm, Yep. Why was Jesus executed by the Romans? Over religious issues, over political issues? Over religious issues? What does Jesus Christ mean? The Lord, the Saviour, Saviour, the Saviour, none of the above, it's just a name. I think it's Saviour, the Saviour. I think it could be Jesus is just a name, but Christ Jesus Christ, Christ. I think, is Saviour, the Saviour. I think it was like Saviour in two forms. Oh, is it really? Yeah. Hmm. Is Jesus, does that mean Saviour, does it? Yeah. I think Jesus and Christ both meant Saviour. I think Christ meant Saviour, but I didn't know about Jesus. I only go with Saviour the Saviour. No worries. Who were the authors of the Gospels? Disciples of Jesus, people who knew disciples of Jesus, all of the above, none of the above. None of the above. Okay. I don't think uh, scholars are really sure who wrote them. Mm. Okay. Uh, uh, And now I will submit... How do we do? I'm just keen to know. <laughs> Not real well, I fear. Uh, six out of ten. That's that, all? That's all. Oh, pathetic. Who uh, was the first person to mention Jesus in writing? It was John. Um, I said that. Which gospel was written first? It was Mark. Hmm. Um, when did Paul believe Jesus became special uh, at his resurrection? And why was Jesus executed? It was over political issues. There we go. I thought it was religious issues, wasn't it? Because the Jews were the ones that wanted him put to death. Yeah, uh, but well. the political issue could have been his claim to be king of the Jews. Did he yeah. claim to be king? At least he was said by some of his followers to be a potential king. So that's yeah. a political issue. So did anyone in the chat room do better than us? Uh, they're discussing the issues there. They wouldn't dare. <laughs> <laughs> uh, right. Now, we mentioned... Um, unemployment benefits and the drug testing of welfare recipients Mm. and went to town on that. Mm. Um, So I saw, uh, well, why did I do this? I read the editorial in the Courier-Mail. Just self-flagellation here. I think he'd know better by now. No wonder I'm depressed. (laughs) (laughs) And basically he was saying, or she, that unemployment benefits should not be seen as an entitlement, but as a payment that requires something in return. Come on. It's the whole concept of mutual obligation that is entrenched in our welfare system. So uh, then there's an article here from a professor of and specialist in drug policy, University of New South Wales, an article in The Conversation. And she is saying that on topics like this, we are relying on different ways of viewing the issue and we can just slide past each other and not address our issues. So 
um, the proponents of drug testing, people who are in favour of it, mm. argue from the moral positions of contractualism, paternalism and communitarianism, whereas people who argue against it argue from a sort of a consequentialist utilitarian mm. sort of model. So back to the people in favour of it. Contractualism is that mutual obligation mm -hmm. sort of thing. Paternalism is uh, enables those conditions to be ones where someone is protected from the consequences of their own poor personal decision-making. Mm. And communitarian is talking about the importance of community solidarity. So... Um, Whereas people like us the other week, or me, were talking about the lack of evidence supporting relationships between drug use and employment, and that there's not enough drug treatment programs and the costs associated with the proposal compared to the number of people mm. who are going to be caught, and the fact that we view it as punitive and discriminatory. Mm. So, um, so she said if you're trying to change people's minds, you would really need to look at what their argument is sort of contractualism, mutual obligation one, and deal with that and say, well, um, we could argue whether the conditions for contractualism are met. Contractualism is built on the premise of fair reciprocity by both parties, i.e. both parties are entering into a mutual obligation, contract as equals. Given the structural inequality experienced by people with drug problems, uh, the conditions for fair reciprocity reciprocity may not be met. So you kind of deal with, uh, when you're arguing with people and saying, well, all of the arguments we made, they couldn't care less mm. if they truly believe that mutual obligation is, is the key point. And yeah. you'd say, well, to be a mutual obligation, did these people have a chance in the first place? Are there really jobs there that they can do mm. to do their obligation that you're seeking from them? And so, is New Start actually facilitating their journey back yeah, into work? Yeah. Adequately. Mm. So just an interesting way of how people slide past each mm, other in indeed. arguments. If you don't address the one that they're actually thinking about, mm. then your argument could be completely sound. But if they don't value mm. that particular topic, I yeah. thought that was interesting. Yeah, That's mm. really very interesting. I now mm. understand exactly what you're talking about. There. And I can see that in some of the arguments I sometimes have with people, political arguments online, where you – well, so I sometimes try to get them – you know, I try and get sort of away from the central argument and come at them from a different angle and they're just mm. like, no, no, you can't do that. This is, this is the argument, you know, mm. refusing to – consider that there might be another way of looking at it. Mm -hmm. And as you say, you know, people, I suppose pe most people assume they're more or less right or they've got the correct information that they need to make a, a judgment mm -hmm. and nothing you say is going to shift them mm -hmm. in some cases. I sort of had a little, uh, almost an argument with a colleague in the staff room this morning who was talking about Brexit and, and this colleague was clearly very passionate on the topic. Right. And, um, and so he thought Brexit was a good idea? Or a no, idea? no. Right. Okay. Uh, the colleague thought Brexit was a very, very bad idea mm -hmm. and, um, and claimed that certain of this colleague's relatives who still live in the UK uh, think it's a very bad idea. And I said, 
but that's just anecdotal. You know, I said the British public were asked to vote and they voted to leave. Mm-hmm. And this colleague was saying, oh, well, they're, you know, they didn't know really, they didn't really understand the issue when they voted that way. I mean, this is incredibly well, condescending, well, isn't it? I think that's a fair argument. It might be, like, but like, you could like, say like, that about every single political election. But then, well... You could say, well, they didn't understand what they were voting for or they didn't understand the issues. Anyone can, can mount that argument. You could, but you could say that the Brexit argument was had technicalities to it where people were deciding what was the economic result and the sovereignty results of the decision and A, may not have known, mm-hmm. understood, B, may have been misled. Yeah, like so, but so, couldn't you say that about every single uh, political election we ever have had? Well, I think that the referendum was I think the referendum was flawed because they asked one question, mm-hmm. do you wish to remain or do you wish to leave? Mm. And you cannot drive everything down to a simple leave stay when you've got the very complicated issues in that that Trevor has already alluded to. Mm-hmm. You know, I honestly believe that if you had your time over again, you wouldn't go ahead with a referendum. But, but you could say Possibly the, not. You could say the Brexit vote is much more complicated and technical than an ordinary vote. Do you think? Yes. Absolutely. Well, yeah. when you go to a general election to elect a Prime Minister, you're electing somebody who is juggling all the complexities of running a country. No, no, no. no. Yeah, when you, you voted a normal election, Paul... <clears throat> Uh, what you're doing is you're is you're deciding how you want corporate fascism delivered to you. <laughs> do you want it delivered by a Princeton-educated Goldman Sachs criminal, or do you want it delivered by a racist, nativist, Christian fascist? I mean, that's the that's the choice that you get at a normal election. Wow, this, this, this Brexit one was much more technical. No, I think in, Bre- in, in Australia's case, we don't get the, the Goldman Sachs criminal. We just get Labor Party hacks, unfortunately. Because, mm. you know, when I'm being screwed, I like to be screwed in style. Yeah. But, you know, but look, the point I was trying to make yeah. was this person had very strong views on the topic mm. and was not going to be swayed into thinking that there could be any other possible way to look at it. Yeah. That was the feeling I had. Yeah. And it almost turned into something nasty. Yeah. I was like... You see, they were saying to you, mm. uh, this is a case of of not full consent, not not full... Um, not full informed capacity. consent. Yes. Yeah. So in in law, in contract, um, if people have been misled or if they don't have uh, a mistake mm-hmm. or they're don't have capacity, mm. then you say the contract's void. And argue, you know, it is an argument that you could say people were misled and people did not understand what they were doing. And but you could probably argue it both yeah. ways, couldn't you? Yeah. That people were misled by both sides, I think. Yeah. I don't know. Potentially. But, well, what you're saying there is you, you, can, you can blame the misleading on but, one side but, or the other. But it's a, it's a useful argument when people are saying, you know, well, it's democracy. The mm. people decided Brexit. The countervailing argument to that is, well, actually, they were misled and they didn't have capacity, so that was an invalid decision. I think if you re-ran that referendum now, I think you'd get a much higher turnout there, yeah. and I think you'd end up with a very different result. That was interesting because that was one point that this colleague made was 
the turnout was so low that it, it, it shouldn't really count. And I said, well, mm. that's what you get when you have a non-compulsory mm. system. Mm. Right, new topic. Same thing happened with Trump. He was only elected by how many million American voters elected Trump? I think it's 50 million or something? Uh, it was a bit over 50%. Uh, yes, voted. but they don't have compulsory voting either. Correct. And so it was altogether, I think it was only like, was it 50 million or 100 it was million? Simil- it was similar to the Venezuelan turnout, which some people described as being a terrible election and questionable, but the actual turnout of voters was very similar. But, you know, I digress. <laughs> <laughs> I think you could argue that the US election was terrible turnout too, you know. Uh, and that they were misled, you know, that the voters were misled. I mean... For goodness sake, I think it happens just about at every election. Yeah. But the way the system works, if you, if you run on a system where the majority of voters get to, you know, decide, well, that's what you live with. Scientists have recently discovered that expat tribe members, listening to their musings from both far and wide, have been contributing to the group's well-being and habitat infrastructure through something called Patreon. Some for as little as one dollar a podcast. It really is making a difference, and it's been observed to enrich the tribe as a whole with contributing members experiencing measured dopamine spikes when new episodes are released, and even intermittent bouts of persistent smiling while listening. Ah, there seems to be movement again. If we listen carefully, we may be able to make out the discussion once more. Just just briefly back to Venezuelans. Yeah. It's a favourite topic. <laughs> For God's sake, we're not going to go through Venezuela again, are we? There's a series in America. It's a, a maybe it's a Jack Ryan. It's either a movie or a series. Yeah, it's, it's a series. Okay. Actually, I was reading about this today. Central yeah. to the plot is the idea that Venezuela uh, is armed with nuclear weapons and will bomb the U.S. Uh, and that's the premise of the. Mm. This is U.S. propaganda, in a sense. I mean, it's, it's totally ludicrous to come up with a plot that Venezuela can, has got nuclear weapons, but. This is all part of the demonising of Venezuelans and um, classic just sort of propaganda that goes on. Like, it's completely ludicrous. But people, you know, after the series or movie comes out, there will people in America will suddenly be more anti-Venezuela because it'll be like those evil Venezuelans, you know, there's a chance they've got a bomb. Mm. It'll work on the sub... It'll work on the I don't think Americans are against Venezuelans. I think they're against the Venezuelan government. Once they think they've got a bomb... They'll be against them. That's the point. No, no, no. I mean, we, we're not against the North Korean people. Yeah. We, I, I'm assuming we are against, as I am, mm. against the North Korean political regime. Yeah. Not the North Korean people at all. Well, it will drive anger against the Venezuelan government with the thought that they have potentially got a nuclear bomb just through the fiction of the Jack Ryan series. Oh, okay. Yeah. So you think... Fiction will start to impinge on people's perception of reality. Yes. Mm. I mean, we're going to start having James Bond movies where the evil villain is from Venezuela at the rate we're going. <laughs> <laughs> so this is how you create bad guys. Mm. Yeah. Uh, childcare subsidies. I want to talk about this one. Yeah. Um, I'm a bit obsessed about think tanks because I read a book about think tanks and there's 
Aren't they a good idea in general? No, nah, well, <laughs> I think this, what they are, they're propaganda outfits, essentially. So they will have a cause which will be, you know, libertarian values or, 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 or such, Institute of Public Affairs as mm-hmm. a think tank, and they will have a grand-sounding name like um, the Centre for Independent Studies, mm. you know, or, or things like that. And you think, or the oh, Australian Institute yes. or something grand-sounding. Yeah, or even on the left-wing side, you know, the Grattan Institute or mm-hmm. whatever. And you think to yourself that it's got some semblance of authority to it. You know, and talk about the think tank... Uh, the Centre for Independent Studies, you think, oh, there's a group of people who are looking at stuff like... And they're res- independent. Researchers, exactly. <laughs> but they're always got a bias, either, it seems to me, either left or right, a very strong bias, and the whole reason for them existing is to push a barrow in a certain direction. Mm, so yeah, Probably, uh, at least in, partially true. In, invariably, they've got very few members. Like, they might mm. have a few hundred, but... They get invited onto Q&A panels. They get mm-hmm. invited into um, consultation with government. Like They have they write, so much influence. They write articles for major newspapers. They've nearly got as much influence as the religious groups, you know, not quite. But So anyway, here's one from Dr Fiona Mueller from the Centre for Independent Studies, which I looked up as a libertarian think tank. Mm-hmm. She was writing in The Courier Mail and talking about childcare subsidies. And she says, but despite this massive investment, at least half the parents eligible for the new childcare subsidy see the system as inflexible and unaffordable. Uh, The childcare subsidy is only available to families using formal centre-based care, such as long day and out-of-school care. These facilities are often hard to access with too few places for infants and little flexibility for parents to change the frequency and timing. Rather than formal care, 50% of the mothers said they would prefer informal arrangements. They wanted the option to have a grandparent or other relative, a friend or a nanny providing care, with 66% saying, 66% even saying they would accept a lower subsidy if this meant more flexibility and affordability. <laughs> so what they're wanting Shit. is, I don't want to put my kid in childcare and have a government public centre there. Give me the money that my taxes has contributed, my share, mm. and I will have my own private arrangement. I'll hire a young I'll, Brazilian student. Yes. To as sh- a nanny, yeah. and I'll take some of that public money, thank you very much, mm-hmm. and use it for my private uh, purposes. It's private school all over again. Mm-hmm. Mm. Watch for this one, dear listener, as people say, well, you know, this is flexibility. Mm. This... Uh, it's imaginative sort of stuff, but essentially it's saying, I don't want to be, be part of the public system. Uh, give me my share of my taxes mm. and let me have my own private uh, arrangements. Thank you very much. Okay, play the devil's advocate mm. here. What about, you know, you were talking about injecting cash into the economy. What if those, you know, those mothers were in fact hiring, you know, young foreign, you know, adult students to come and take care of their kids? couple of days a week that might not be such a bad thing for the economy by all means do it just don't use public money mm. so you know but what if without that subsidy they couldn't do it well tough well well, well, well tough <laughs> exactly they're going to go to the government and provide a 
childcare yeah. service. I mean, if we have a proper childcare service run by the government, mm-hmm. then we construct facilities mm-hmm. that employs builders Indeed. and other people, mm-hmm. whereas if we're doing it at and home, staff. it doesn't. Yeah. Staff, mm-hmm. exactly. Hopefully, so, properly qualified staff. Yes. And, um, you know, these backpackers are like, I mean, they come to the country with $20 and a shirt and they, they oh. don't change either. Oh, my God. So, you know. That's a disgrace. <laughs> so, um, uh, so, anyway, I just But they that. actually bring, just, bring money into the economy as well, of course, you know. Yeah. So, anyway, I just thought that as a sign, watch this space. They will be... After that next, yeah. They'll be, be out. Doing that and privatising and, and, and saying, well, here's your share. You can now tack on your extra bit and have your own private system. You wouldn't put it past Morrison to, to buy votes with something like that, yeah. though, would you? It'll play into the hands of his constituency. Perfectly. Sure. Mm. Scott, you wrote to yes. your local member. I wrote to my local member, Mr Ross Vaster. Mm. Would you like me to read my email? Yeah. Good afternoon, Mr Vaster. I wish to register my deep concern over the direction that the government has taken with respect to the issue of religious discrimination. I refer you to the following article from The Conversation. In particular, I point out the following two paragraphs from the article. Most would agree it's wrong to discriminate against someone for the reason that they are of a certain faith or indeed no faith. But this bill goes much further than other discrimination laws and weakens existing protections for LGBTIQ plus people, women, people with disabilities and other diverse racial and cultural backgrounds. Now, Mr Vaster, I did not spend several hours at demonstrations and on the phone trying to get marriage equality passed in this country for all of that work to be undone with the stroke of the Attorney General's pen. I ask that you very, very, very carefully consider this before you support it. Thank you, Scott Clark. Let us know if you get a response. I doubt I will get a response. <laughs> yeah. Hey, can I just say I, I don't like the you know repetitive use of very just as an em- emphasis. One very should be enough, Scott. I'm sorry. Oh, you could you could edit it for him later. So, uh, well, fuck tough. you. <laughs> tough. <laughs> um. We've previously mentioned uh, support animals. We have. Yes. Yes. Getting out of control. Yes. So Ah. we've talked. My favourite was the original one was Dexter the Peacock. Yeah. Who was on the, uh, in the airport trying to get on as as a support animal. And then we mentioned about um, miniature horses as being a legitimate uh, alternative to guide dogs. I have to say I was attracted to the idea of a miniature horse as yeah. a companion animal. And so you can now find miniature horses on planes yes. basically because they're a guide dog. Yes. And the reason, dear listener, is that they live so much longer than dogs. Do they? Yes. They, they live... How long you forget all that stuff we talk about on this podcast. So well, yeah. Pull. I mean, I have to but, but make room for the so, following weeks. So the dogs, <laughs> by, their, by the time they're trained or whatever, might last 10 years, and then you've got to retrain them, mm. whereas they, the horses will last for 40 years. Seriously? So, yeah. Wow. so they're good value, so, the yeah, horses. Yeah, excellent they? value. And um, they've got other characteristics that make them handy as well, guide horses, if you like. They're cuddly. They've got big, fat necks. You can yeah. put your arms around their necks. Yeah, and there's certain other things about them. Because they're a herd to... animal, it makes them more appropriate in other oh. reasons in spaces. So You don't need to mow your yard either. You just get the horse to eat it. That's it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And uh, I've got a link to an article where this woman did an experiment in New York where she basically uh, just had these dodgy letters 
saying that her animal was a support animal and she was invited to all sorts of restaurants, cafeterias, workplaces, doctor's appointments and all sorts of stuff and uh, with different creatures including uh, a snake, an alpaca, a pig named Daphne. Oh, she um, did it to, to test people's limits yes, in a sense, didn't she? Yes, and it turned out that people were quite accepting of, <laughs> of support animals. So, so there's links to the support animals there. But the other situation where people need support is when they're facing uh, difficulty at work where they might be being uh, under some sort of disciplinary action mm. at work and you are invited to bring a support person with you if perhaps you're about, do you think you might be terminated or there's a, a big problem at work where there's going to be a discussion about whether you're going to survive or not. And it's quite common now for people to have a support person with them in these difficult interviews. Mm. And there was a guy in New Zealand who... <laughs> uh, I'll just read from the article here. If you think emotional support animals have got out of control, prepare yourself for news of an emotional support clown. An Auckland <laughs> advertising copywriter brought a clown to his redundancy meeting. Uh, New Zealand legally requires employers to allow workers the option of bringing a support person to disciplinary meetings, uh, usually relating to an employee's prospective dismissal. And... Uh, this company lost a significant client, began laying off people. Josh Thompson um, could see the writing on the wall and they said, bad news, Josh, we have a meeting, uh, we're having a meeting to discuss your role. Mm. Faced with the task of securing an appropriate support person for the potentially tense meeting, Thompson, a comedian who performs under the name of Joshua Jack, said, I thought it's best to bring in a professional, so I paid $200 and hired a clown. <laughs> The clown, who Thompson refers to as Joe, crafted balloon animals throughout the meeting, including a poodle. <laughs> His antics were squeaky, and Thompson's bosses had to request he quieten down several times. <laughs> it's further understood that the clown mimed crying when the redundancy paperwork was handed over. <laughs> yeah. $200 well spent, I would say. Yeah. <laughs> a picture of the meeting taken through a boardroom glass doors by an unknown spectator is of compromised quality, though one can detect that Joe the clown is wearing a colourful hat and a yellow bib and that Thompson, leaning back in his chair, indeed looks relaxed for someone in the process of getting laid off. <laughs> Thompson said, I mean, I did get fired, but apart from that, it was all smooth running. Yeah. Emotional support and probably clients. worth getting fired for just to see the look on the faces of the uh, people doing the uh, dismissing. Indeed, indeed. Right. Uh, also, follow up on previous things we've spoken about, which was uh, penis artwork that we spoke about last week. Here's an article from New Zealand where a man used a chainsaw to cut the phallus off a Maori carving in That's order to right, please God. Yes. Yeah. So. Um, that was a bit brutal, wasn't yeah, it? Yeah, it's on a walking track and this guy was a committed Christian and it was a carving that had been done by a local Maori person mm. and as is customary, the, everything was on display. Yeah, and the phallus yeah, was quite uh, large. Yeah, although the, uh, the man who, the sculptor, Carver, 
the creator. Mm-hmm. He toned it down, didn't he? He scaled it down a little yes. bit to, you know, accommodate. Normally they're quite oversized. Sensibilities. And he minimised the appearance as a concession to sensibilities of non-Maori visitors. Indeed. Didn't want to scare them. Making it smaller and less prominent (laughs) than is traditional. But that wasn't good enough for this Christian who (sighs) went at it with a chainsaw. He did. The phallus dropped to the ground and uh, he copped a $2,000 fine. That's the only penis uh, article for this episode. If you're waiting for that, it's, uh, it's done and dusted. And um, Berejiklian, who we were talking about before we started, mm. facing a spill motion potentially, mm-hmm. which didn't go ahead mm-hmm. over the abortion law debate, mm-hmm. seems like three people wanted yeah, her out were, of the job. There were three Christian nutters that decided to roll her over the over her alleged poor handling of the abortion law reform bill. Mm. Um Apparently, they didn't think that she was giving enough credence to some of the uh, amendments that were being put forward by the other nutters on the backbench. So they decided that they would they would call a spill motion. They were ready to go, and then they called it off because mm. they only had the support of three of them. Mm. Yeah, you know, they I didn't mean, have a chance. No, they didn't have a chance. Up. I mean, it was bloody ridiculous that you had Gladys Berejiklian had won the election six months ago, and she'd won it. Quite convincingly, hadn't she? Well, relatively. Yeah, and yet you had the nutters on the Christian side saying that they got to go, that she's got to go. You know, it made mm. no sense whatsoever. Mm. It was just a stunt. Yeah. Still on Berejiklian, they've had uh, lockout laws down there, mm. and looks like they're going to scrap them. Mm. And. I think that's a good idea. A lot of people complained. Yes, they said it really killed the nightlife of the city. Yeah. And the evidence is that people uh, got as drunk as they were before because they were preloading at home. Yes. So incidents of people being drunk were still the same. Yes. There was less violence in places like King's Cross, but that was because there were less people because yeah. they all moved to other districts mm. where uh, there wasn't the lockout laws. Mm. So overall it just shifted the problem around the city. Yeah. It didn't solve it at all. And uh, so they're going to uh, forget the lockout. Well, they're going to get rid of the lockout laws. Yeah. They're, they're going to relax them in some areas, but not in. I, I think they were still going to keep it in King's Cross, weren't they? Uh, I don't know. I had the feeling they were just getting rid of it. But. I don't think so. I think they were getting rid of it for the main part of the CBD, yep. but keeping it maybe just in like Darlinghurst Road, that central part of King's Cross. Yeah. You know, I think this has been an example. I I suspect these laws came about through pressure from families of victims, like terrible stories of kids who get king hit inside of a And they're horrific stories. Terrible. And they say, well, you know, my son would still be alive Mm. if these people weren't, if the perpetrator wasn't as drunk, if they'd been not served, if there were lockout laws or Mm. whatever. And, um, but some of these things just can't be solved by It's so the same things. about motorbikes. Exactly. You know, if the motorbike had never been invented, there'd All be a lot more people still alive. So it just shifted the problem to other areas. And, of course, if you owned a casino, well, there was no lockout laws. Uh, so mm. they, so they those places like that became quite uh, popular. Mm. Right. Um, I think... We had another... We heard a penis story from Jacinta Price. Do you remember, Scott? 
Yeah. It was an indigenous, it's, traditional yeah. indigenous story. It's hilarious. But yeah. I don't know whether we should share it or just encourage people to go along and hear Jacinta. And, cause she, I think Jacinta's actually finished her tour now, so they can't go and see her. But, um, it was a the, wild story. The story was that there was this guy that said, imagine could detach his penis, send it underground, and then just it would then pop up and have its way. This is a Dreamtime story. Yeah. Some sort of indigenous traditional story. Right, a a subterranean penis. Yeah, Mm. they would go up there and and effectively copulate with other women. Right. And this one woman was then trying to – she beat the shit out of this penis and that sort of stuff (laughs) and she killed it. She never didn't have a chainsaw handy. Well, it had already already been – It already been detached. detached. It was free – Yep, it was free-roaming free penis. <laughs> it was yes. free-wheeling willy. Yeah. So she beat the shit out of this penis to the point where it died. Oh. And then um, the guy grew another penis again, didn't he? I don't recall the details, yeah. but what I recall is one woman's clitoris detached and yeah. dropped to the ground. And, and became a willy-wagtail. That's yeah. right, became a willy-wagtail. Uh, yeah. Isn't right. that interesting? I mean... I just never imagined Dreamtime stories could be that interesting in a you know, sexualised sort of way. Yeah, yeah. Well, my opinion of Dreamtime stories hasn't improved as a result. No. No. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I reckon we're coming to the end of it, uh, dear listener, on this one. The end of the world? Uh, end of this episode. Oh, okay. Yeah, episode 220. If you've got ideas for topics, um, let us know. Send them in come across some interesting articles or thoughts uh, that you'd like us to talk about or concepts that we haven't Particularly addressed. if it has penises in it. Yeah. Mm. Uh, but anything, any uh, we don't ethical... don't talk about penises all the time. Oh, we don't? No. no. <laughs> ethical conundrums uh, are good and... Um, Indeed. And, you know, if there's something going on that you think we haven't addressed, then uh, tell us about it. Because my, my notes now, not a lot happened since last week, so I've chewed up a lot. I'm running out of topics. I need some, I need some sense, so... You're running out. Yeah. It's hard to believe. Yeah. So it looks like they had a good time in the chat room. looks like it's been very civil. Uh, <laughs> good on you guys in there. And, yeah, I think unless you guys have anything else. No? no? All right. That's about it. Okay. Until next time, thanks for listening. Thanks for tuning in the chat room. Talk to you next time. Bye. Thanks very much for tuning in. Bye now. See you, everyone. Absolutely. He's I know Trev. Con no, no he, he, Big Trev is as honest and straight as he is big. Well, dear listener, did you enjoy that episode of the podcast? If you did, I've got a favour to ask. Uh, first up, tell some friends. Let them know about the podcast. You'll be discussing something at some time and you might be repeating something I've said. And when you're talking to your friends, say, hey, I heard this on this podcast and it's worth listening to. And maybe pick an episode that you think's a good one and direct them to it. Like, grab their phone and go to their podcast app and search for Iron Fist Velvet Glove and subscribe <laughs> on their behalf on their phone and uh, and just put the word out. The other thing is you could become a patron and support the show. So if you go to our website, you'll see a link to Patreon and there are some different options for subscribing and paying per episode. And really the amount that you pay depends on what you get from the podcast. So there's different levels ranging from $1.50 Australian to, I think, $10 and various ones in between. It's really, what do you think it's worth? Is it worth a cup of coffee? Uh, is it worth 
more than that, less than that, whatever you get out of it, because not everybody gets the same. Maybe you don't listen to the whole thing. Maybe you never talk about it with people. Maybe you really couldn't care less half the time whether the podcast is there. It just, it'll be different for everybody. So if you get a lot out of the podcast, contribute a bit more. If you don't get much, contribute less. But in any event, you can subscribe there. If you don't like the idea of a regular subscription, the website has a link to a PayPal donation. So you could just do a one-off donation every now and again. So there you go. It'd be good to uh, spread the word, get a few more listeners. And that way, look, if we ended up getting more listeners and more money, we could do maybe a second episode or more special episodes, provide some more content. So it's up to you. If you think it's worthwhile, let people know. Thanks.